1: I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself.
0: chapter 5 beginning at verse 13. My son and I were watching something and an infomercial came on and they were describing this amazing product and I can't remember what it was and everything that you got with it and my son was pretty amazed. He's like, wow, that's a, that's a good deal, all that stuff. And I told him, but wait, there's more. <laughs> and he just looked at me like, what? And uh, there was more right? And so they doubled the order. And he was like, wow, we should get this. And I'm like, but wait, there's more. (laughs) And all of a sudden they took one or two of the payments off. And he was just like, wow, like we should get this. This is really good. I feel like some of us in here, we know Christ, but wait, there's more. There's far more for a thousand generations. We were singing that song. And Evie never tells me what song she's going to sing or anything like that. I even try to pry it out of her. She never does that. But I'm like, that's it. I mean, you know, I want us to get this. I want us to really get this because there's too much of another spirit in churches today. And uh, we're missing it. We're missing it and I pray that God speaks to us today. I pray that we get the fullness of Christ. I pray that we get the fullness of grace. I pray that uh, none of us are stuck under religion. Religion's ugly. Religion's horrible. Religion is a heavy yoke. It's like a beam of wood that you got to carry, and has no place Here And Christ set us free from that, and we need to be free from that. We need to be free from the war inside of ourselves. We need to be free from the guilt. We need to be free from the shame. Uh, I want you to find that freedom today. And I'm excited to to preach this message because God's just been... (laughs) I've read this message many times, and he's just speaking new to me today through it. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 13. Would you stand in honor of God's word? You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does any one light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished." Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he should be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Did you hear that? Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we'd all have eyes and ears that are open including myself to hear what you'd have for us. Lord, let us let our hearts be soft enough to respond. Remove pride, get it out of the way. Remove this this spirit of religion. Get it out of here, Lord. Lord, we want you. We want you in your fullness, Lord. And we give you praise for that. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We kind of started that last week with the Sermon on the Plain. But this is a great image of what it looks like to live the Christian life. Last week, we focused in on how followers of Christ should look totally different than the world going through the Beatitudes, and how our values should be totally different than the world's values, and that's because our values have been totally flipped upside down, right? The world values things like power, but we value things like meekness. So one of the big distinctions in Christianity and and what the Sermon on the Mount teaches or reinforces is that we are on two very different value systems, right? Two very different value systems. This week, we're going to look at another big difference, though. We aren't just different than the world. We're also called to be different than religion or the religious. Religion is no good. I, I almost titled this, Religion Must Die. It's garbage. No, it's, it's actually worse than garbage. It has no place, right? Growing up, I heard people say things like, the Jews killed Jesus. That's a statement that doesn't really offer anything helpful in it. Jesus was a Jew. His friends were Jews. His companions were Jews. And yes, his enemies were Jews. So yes, uh, Jews did have a part in killing Jesus, but it doesn't help. It's not specific enough. It would be more helpful to say religious people killed Jesus. That dials it in. Jesus was at odds with the religious. You read throughout the New Testament, he's at odds with the religious. That may sound weird to you, but you see that throughout, right? This hostility by Jesus towards the religious leaders, most of them, not all of them, most of them in the religious teachers. Compare that to how Jesus is with the world. With the non-religious people. He's very patient, very kind. But when he's by the religious people, he's very sharp, isn't he? Similarly, it's the religious people that are the most angry with Jesus, right? They want to trip him up. They want to catch him. They want to arrest him then they even want to kill him several times in the bible it mentions that they're planning and plotting how that they could kill jesus while the worldly people were drawn to him right so one of the main things that we all need to understand is that christianity has to be different than religion It's totally different than the world. It's also totally different than religion. If you understand these two things, you'll better understand what it means to be a true Christ follower today. At the end of the sermon, in the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus puts two ways before us. He says there are two roads, right? One road leads to life. One road leads to destruction. He also says there are two trees. One has good fruit one has poison fruit. There are two houses. One that's built on a rock or a solid foundation. One that's built on sand. And he's telling us there are, there are two ways. There are two paths. They often can look the same. But one's got poison fruit, right? One leads to destruction. It leads to a life that collapses in on itself. So watch out which path you're on. It's time for us all to examine ourselves. Now, here's the interesting thing, right? What are those two ways that he's putting before us? Traditionally, I think it's taught that, there's, that they're God's way versus the world's way, right? You either obey God's laws or you obey the world's system of values. And yes, there are two ways, and yes, that is part of it, right? Two trees to choose fruit from, uh, they probably look the same, but one's poisoned, right? There's two houses to live in, they look the same, but one foundation is about to collapse. The things that are taught in the sermon are not, though, contrasting one person who who lives for God and, and one person who is living for what the world is. This is about people who pray this way, but Jesus tells them that they should pray this other way. This is about people who give to the poor in this way, but Jesus tells them to give to the poor in this other way, right? Do you, do you get this? This isn't about the difference of, of Christians in the world. That, that's the Beatitudes part. This is, this is about the distinction of Christians versus religious people. This is the distinction, if, if I dare say, of gospel Christians versus religious Christians. And sometimes there's a spirit of this religious Christianity that, that is alive and well in churches today that we need to be very careful of. All right. This is about both doing good things. Both look like they're obeying God's law. But one of those ways leads to destruction. And that's why he says in verse 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. I told you last week, Jesus was radical. He's dropping bombs, right? That is a bomb that he just dropped. He is not the opiate of the masses like Karl Marx thought, right? He is the smelling salts waking us all up. Christianity is different than religion. Religion just leads to destruction. The gospel goodness far surpasses religiosity because of four things, four things that I want to talk to you today, four things that build on each other. Number one, it's brighter. It's brighter because of number two, it's deeper. It's deeper because of number three, it's sweeter. And it's sweeter because number four, it's higher. And we'll go through all those things. Okay, number one, it's brighter. Verse 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Notice the two groups of people here. It's not there are people who are light and there are people who are darkness. That, that's not what he's talking about, right? It's there are people who are light and let their light shine before man so that everyone can benefit compared to those people who are light and hide their light underneath a bowl. He's talking to us. This is the religious versus the followers of Christ. And the way that you tell the difference is by our relationship to the world. Christianity is attracted to and attractive to the people that aren't like us, the world. And I'll, I'll clarify that because there's a, a, a big caveat with that. But Christianity is attracted to those people and attractive to those people that aren't like us, but the religious people are turned off by people like that. They're turned off by the world. They want to separate from them. They want to hide underneath a bowl from them. Going further, this passage says right before this, uh, it says that you are the salt of the earth. You've, you've heard the salt metaphor preached, I'm sure, a hundred million times. Salt did two important things. First thing, it was a preservative, right? You put salt on the meat because the meat will decay if you don't put salt on it. It's falling apart unless you put salt on it. So what he's telling us is that Christians, Christ followers, our very nature, right, is that when we see things falling apart, we spread ourselves on it. When we see people falling apart, we go in. When we see a community falling apart, Lord, put us in there. Put us in there, right? We're drawn to decay. We don't steer clear of it. We're drawn to it. Religious people see those same people and they hide themselves under a bowl, meaning they just really stick with their own. They huddle together in their churches. Let that never be us. They aren't attracted to people falling apart. Those people just need to straighten up their lives and get it together. Right? That's what the religious say. Not Christ followers, though. Let us get in there. Let us be a part of you and what you're doing, Lord, and making a difference. What can we do? We are attracted to those people. We are not only attracted to those people, but we are also attractive to those people, right? Who are falling apart. The other thing that salt was used for was it was a flavoring. It made things taste good. We all know that, right? Corn on the cob ain't nothing without salt. (laughs) Who who wants that? Right? Here's the thing though. When we eat corn on the cob with salt, we don't say Adivy, that was some great salt. Right? We say that was some great corn out of the cob. Why? Salt's job is not to make you think how great salt is. Salt's job is to make you think how great that thing is, that whatever it's involved with is. It points to the corn, right? It shows the value of the corn. What if you're salt in a small group study? And that small group Bible study, it's not going to be people are going to be like, oh, wow, look at that person. They knew so much and they answered all those questions and how great are they? No, they're going to be like, they're going to come away with that saying, wow, what a great study. What a great Bible study that we just had. Religious people point to themselves, I'm salt. Look how great I am. Christ followers just want to be poured on somebody And help them out. Christ followers just want people to realize their value in Christ's eyes. That's what we do. That's what we focus in on, right? You're around religious people. You always feel condemned. They make you feel worse when you're around them. How, How bad you are. Never better. Salt makes you better. Religious people just condemn you. Religious people are the people that when you come to church, they're like, oh, you finally came back, right? Where have you been for a month? I remember this guy who, when I was a youth pastor, is in this church and, and the teens would come and they'd show up on a Sunday and he'd be like, oh, you finally decided to grace us with coming. That's religion. I get on you about not coming to church but I want you to know the beauty that comes from it. I want you to be filled with God's grace. That's my reasoning behind it. It's not to shame you. It's not to call you out. I just want you to experience this, right? You have this place in chapter 7, a little later on in the sermon, it says this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank? In your own eye. The, the religious only see tiny specks in their own eyes, but they see planks in your eyes. That's why you feel worse when you're around them. You're condemned, right? Their sin is a tiny speck. Their sin is the same thing as your sin, but your sin is a plank compared to their sin. Christ followers know we got some planks in our own eyes. They're just a different color, different shape, right? So we don't look at other people and see and think that we're better than them because theirs are bigger than ours. No, we know we got some planks, but we also know that Christ took those planks out. And that's what we want for those people. We want for them to experience what we've experienced, and know that. Quick, quick clarification. I'm not saying Christian beliefs are popular, right? I'm not saying that. I, I told you that people will be attracted to, to Christians, and that's true. Christian beliefs, though, are, are unpopular in our society. Oh, my goodness, right? But I, I want to point to that religious spirit that's behind some things that can get really ugly that can come from people who call themselves Christ followers and can really turn some people off. I will not, I do not want to shy away from telling the truth to people. But I want to do it with a whole lot of grace. And I don't want to come at, from a, at a point of view where my spec's small and your spec's big. So the first point is gospel goodness is brighter It's attractive. Why? Because number two, it goes deeper. When Jesus dropped the bombshell in verse 20, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Everybody that heard that must have been utterly shocked and dumbfounded. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law knew the law in and out. They had it memorized, right? Word for word, they divided it. They created these 630-some laws from it just so that they could follow it better. And Jesus says, your righteousness has to surpass that or you don't have a chance getting into the kingdom of heaven. The people had to be thinking, how? How in the world could that ever happen? Well, Jesus answers that in the following verses Jesus addresses the Ten Commandments if you you look through the Sermon on the Mount, right? So for instance, he says, people say you have to keep your oaths when you swear by certain things or especially by certain things, this or that. But I tell you, don't bother with oaths, right? Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be so full of integrity that you should be honest with everything that you say, right? Not just when you say something with a certain vow attached to it or an oath attached to it, right? Make a big deal about your yes and your no's, period. He also talks about turning the other cheek. I don't think we get the fullness of this. I hope we can really dig into this a little bit later in the sermon series. But this isn't just about you not repaying evil for evil when you turn the cheek. If you're just turning the cheek to let somebody slap it again, and that's the only point to it, that's dumb. Right? It's so much deeper. When, when, you, when you turn the other cheek, yes, you're not repaying evil for evil. Yes, you are giving somebody a chance to slap you in the face, right? But you're also giving them a chance to kiss your cheek. You're giving them a chance for that relationship to be restored, right? We, we all know the people who have, who have been wronged and they just hang on to that and can't let go of it. Maybe we've experienced some of that, right? You've been wronged and that person's dead to me. That family member's dead to me. I'm not gonna have anything to do with them because of what they did. Jesus said, man, turn your cheek. Allow, allow forgiveness to be there. Allow God to be there. Allow a restoration to occur. Yes, you might be slapped again, but it's far more deeper than that. Do you get that? That's the deepness of the gospel. It's a chance for somebody to be restored in your life, no matter what they've done. It's an offer of hope. And this is why he says your righteousness has to go beyond these religious people. They're just scratching the surface, right? instead this comes from a heart that's changed by the gospel and that's where it has to come from it's not enough not to murder people but still hate people right what's the difference you still hate it's not enough not to commit adultery but still lust after people that's what jesus was teaching you're just scratching the surface here with this religious stuff your heart's still ugly Your heart still needs to be transformed by the gospel. It needs to be changed. It needs to be taken out and replaced. The goodness of the gospel is so much brighter because it goes so much deeper. Okay, why does it go deeper? It's because it's sweeter. What's so sweet about this? The Sermon on the Mount is not try to live like this and then God will be your father or God will approve of you. That's religion. No, it's you can live like this Because God is your father. And he loves you. In chapter 6, there's this fascinating place where Jesus says, don't worry, have no anxiety about anything. And if you're me, you say, what? How? How in the world is that supposed to happen? What what kind of command is that? How can I stop worrying? If If you treat this religiously, right you're going to say i guess somehow i got to stop worrying i got to figure it out i got to do it you know jesus says to do it so i got to do it i got to follow this thing otherwise what he's going to be mad at me he's going to be disappointed with me how do i do that i have no no clue but jesus says wait wait wait, wait. no 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 right have no anxiety about these things because don't you see how the father takes care of the birds of the air Don't you see how the Father takes care of the lilies of the field? Don't you know that if your heavenly Father cares for them, don't you know how much more He cares about you? That stops anxiety when you know that truth. right? Jesus shows us that things in the Sermon on the Mount are impossible unless you know that you have a Father in heaven and unless you know your value to your Father in heaven. It assumes this. The, the difference between religious and Christianity is religion obeys the laws of God trying to get value. So it does things to help the, help the poor. It does things, it, it, it prays, it does all these nice things, but it does it so that God will approve of you. God will owe you then something. He will owe you comfort. He will owe you things that you, you pray for. But the gospel is about obeying God's laws because you're already valued because you already know that value you don't have to earn it you don't have to get it it's there already because you're his child you know how amazing grace is the incredible gift it is the sweetness of it and you live out of that you know your value in your father's eyes do you realize there was what would this song say? I can't remember. But do you realize that there was nothing he wasn't willing to do to get you, to save you, to hold on to you, to keep you? He's a father, not a boss, right? If you're an employee and you're a good employee, you got a boss. If you're an employee and you're a bad employee and you do wrong things, you get fired and you don't have a boss anymore. If you're a kid and have a father and you're good, you got a father. If you're a kid and a father and you don't do good, you still got a father. He's just going to whoop your butt, right? Because he loves you. That's the difference between religious Christians and gospel Christians. They know they got a father that loves them. And they act out from that knowledge, from that truth. Nothing can change that I have a, a, an earthly father unless I reject him, right? Your goodness or your badness does not change his love for you. You don't have to earn it. And my friends, that is the sweet place to live out of. That is where that sweetness comes in. I want my kids to experience that with God. I want that, my kids to experience that with me. I, wanna, I want them to live out from that place. I'm not good James I'm not a good person. No way he can love me like he loves some other people, right? If that's what you're thinking, if, if you have, talk to anybody that has multiple children. If you have multiple children and there's the one black sheep of them, right? The one that's maybe a little bit disobedient. That's often the one that has your heart the most. Because you want them to come back. You want them to be reconciled with you. Why? It's just the nature of parenthood just how it is. That's why Jesus was willing to leave the 99. To go after the one. Religious people, that dude's bad news. Let's just keep them out of here and stay with these 99, right? Jesus taught them to pray to God as their father and it blew their minds that they could look at and think of God in this way, right? They had never heard anything like that when he taught them this. God is your father, though, when you come into relationship with him. And that sweetness changes everything. Religious people got a boss, and they have to earn everything. And they put that on you. Because that's what they know. They put that on you. You got to earn this. And if you don't, I'm going to point it out and make you feel bad about it, and make you feel guilty about it, hoping that you change, Right? Why do people help God? Why do people do things for God so that God will owe me, so that God will love me? It's all about earning it. That needs to die. Why do religious people pray? It's really not about them, it's not for Him, it's not to get to know Him. They're just asking for things that they thought they've earned. If your prayer life is nothing but just asking for things, if there is no adoration, no praise, no confession in it. Be careful. That seems religious. We're brighter because we're deeper. We go deeper because we're sweeter. Because it's sweeter, it's sweeter because it's higher. Verse 17, do you not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets? I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. The gospel goodness has a high view of the law of God higher than the religious, right? This is important because by this point, you know, maybe the thought's crossing your mind that I'm talking about God as your father and that you can be sure of his love and the acceptance and you can just do whatever you want and have this, just this low view of God's law. You know, it's all grace after all. But the thing is, Jesus's view of the law goes far beyond that, right? goes far beyond, beyond even the pharisees with their 600 and some rules that they followed today there's a split in religion there's a liberal religion that says god loves everyone just do your best it's all okay right on the other side is a conservative religion where here's the rules you better do them conservative religion knows you're a sinner but doesn't know you're loved liberal religion knows you're loved but grace is cheap Jesus Christ comes along and says, I do not come to abolish the law. That's against the liberal religion, right? And then he says, I have come to fulfill it. And that's against the conservative religion. What does he mean when he says, I've come to fulfill it? Look at the Sermon on the Mount, right? He, he's the only one who's ever lived out the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. Go through it. You're, you're gonna see his character. You're gonna be amazed by the beauty of it. The sermon is really an image of Jesus and his life. right? Jesus is the only one that lived this out. He also lived this, but he also lived out the beatitudes, and at that point, right? Jesus said, "Blessed are those who blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy." But Jesus Christ, even though he was merciful, he did not obtain mercy. He was condemned. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus was pure in heart, but I remember when God had to turn his face from him on the cross, and that's why he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus said, The meek shall inherit the earth. He was perfectly meek, absolutely meek, but he was excluded. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Nobody hungered and thirsted after righteousness more than Jesus Christ, and yet he wasn't fulfilled. He was empty at the point of the cross. He said, I thirst. Why? He was meek. He lost his inheritance. So even though you and I are not meek, we can have that inheritance. He was pure in heart, didn't see God so that you and I who are not pure in heart can see God. He though he was merciful obtained no mercy so that you and I who are not merciful can have that mercy. Jesus Christ said I've fulfilled the Sermon on the Mount. He's fulfilled the law Everything utterly in it. And therefore, if you believe in me, right, not only does everything you deserve be put on him on the cross, but everything that he deserves gets transferred to us when we're in him. It's all reversed. Which means that when God looks at you, brothers, sisters, he sees someone as beautiful as a person living out the Sermon on the Mount every day in every way. My friends, that's high. That's high. That's a higher view of the law. Jesus says, I take the law a lot more seriously than any other religious person. Because the other religious people, right, they said, do your best. Follow these 630 laws, right? But Jesus says, no, you've got to be perfect. That's what he calls us to. You got to be perfect. And when you get it, you realize you'll never be perfect. But he was perfect. And he fulfilled the law. And if you're in him, then his righteousness becomes your righteousness. That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of grace. He's been perfect for you. That's what you live out of. You live out of that gratitude for the cross, for what he did. Two things, and I'm done. Number one, you'll never have the upside down kingdom that we talked about last week where your value system is switched with the world's. You'll never have those values unless you have the inside out kingdom that we're talking about today. Religion tries to change you from the outside in. You know, you follow the rules and you'll be a better person. No, it never changes your heart, so you never change. The inside out way, though, the gospel way, you surrender your life to Him and He changes your heart. He gives you a new heart and you live out from that right? You live out in grace. You screw up, but you realize you're under his grace, and that's a beautiful place to be, and you don't have to run from that. You can run to him, right? And in that relationship, he slowly changes you, or sometimes quickly changes you. He softens your heart. He takes you along. That's when you really start to change. That's when you really are able to, to live out the, the sermon on the mount. So you can't have the upside down without the inside out, and there's tremendous freedom there. Last, you have to have the right view of the Word of God. Religious people are scared of it. They don't delight in it. Gospel people love the Word because you love to have God tell you what you're doing wrong. And that may seem a little weird to you. You delight in meditating in it and finding the things where you're just screwing up that need to change. But you're under grace, right? Right? So you're not worried about your God, the Father not loving you. You got that secured, right? And so you can just work on changing and work on letting him change you because ultimately he's already fulfilled it. He's already done everything that you need to to do. So you can just live in response to that. You read the Sermon on the Mount as a religious person, you're gonna be like, oh my goodness, how in the world do I ever live that out? That's gonna be hard, right? How do I turn the other cheek when somebody slaps me in the face and you feel terrible because you're a failure. You'll never be able to live it out perfectly, right? You can't pull it off. You don't understand, though, what Jesus means when he says, I came to fulfill it. You don't get it. All the pressure's on you. That's religion. You need freedom. Freedom. You need freedom from that, right? It's already done. When you, when you know it's already been fulfilled and the, the ways has already been made, right? That's freedom. And we, that's when you can live out of gratitude from that. That's when your heart changes. That's grace. And it's amazing. It's so amazing. You should want to run out of here and tell other people about it that don't know it. Who doesn't have that in your life? Who can you tell about God's grace to, right? Stand with me. We've been talking about giving. I don't give because I have to. I give because I want to. What a privilege, right? If you, if you have to give how you have to, man, just hold on to that. Don't worry about that till you're right, in the right place, right? I serve because I want to, because I'm amazed at what God's done for me, the grace that He's shown me. Grab onto that grace. Hold on to it, right? If you get some religious people in your life, tell them to shut up. If you are the religious person in somebody's your life, be quiet, right? Get that grace. Don't put that on somebody else. Don't treat it as lightly because it wasn't. Cross is not cheap. But it shows you how much he loved you. It shows you that even when you were at your worst, he died for you so that you can have a relationship with him. Grab that, own that, live out of that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Lord, I pray if there is a spirit of religion in anybody's life today that they would be able to just lay that down, that they would be able to realize they don't got to earn it. It's already been paid for. It's already been fulfilled. And they can just live in response to that. Lord, let us not treat grace as being cheap. Let us wrestle with you. Let us live in a way that brings you glory, Lord. But help us to realize it doesn't earn anything. It doesn't do anything. That's already secured, Lord. Help us to just be people that want to do it because we're grateful at what's been done for us. Lord, give us opportunities to share the good news with the people out there around us who don't know it. Even if they slap us in the face, even if they reject us, Lord, Help us to keep on sharing that no matter what and help some of them to get it. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray, amen.